everyone got all dressed up nice. The men were business casual. The ladies were all, you know, decked out, dolled up. And we put them on the bus, and we started going uh, down the road. We go on Boston Post Road, and we're going down over by the restaurant. Uh, it's the um, one of those has the, the grill where they cook the food right in front of you. And um, I told Pastor David driving the bus, I said, you see that Sonic right there? I said, pull in over there. So uh, George Harvey is cracking all these jokes about we're going to eat at the Subway and Walmart and all that. And so we turned in the Walmart parking lot, then we turned into Sonic, and I said, everybody ready to go? Everybody know what you want to get? And it got deathly quiet. <laughs> Everyone's looking at each other like, are we really going to eat at Sonic? So uh, we pulled out of the parking lot and said, just kidding. And uh, we went on to the next, uh, to, to where we were really going. But uh, what a great time we had. The couples that went really, really enjoyed themselves. And so uh, sign up for that so we know um, which vehicle to take and we can uh, make proper reservations, and so you are welcome to eat uh, just you and your wife, or if you want to get together with other couples and eat with them, you can do that as well. But that will be coming up, I believe, the date on that is July 6th. The information is in your bulletin there. And I would encourage you to look at your bulletin so you know what's going on around here, and you can get involved. All right, let's stand for the reading of God's Word, Acts chapter 2, and we'll be reading from verse 41 down through the end of the chapter there, verse 47, and we will read... Responsively, I'll read the odd verses alone, odd-numbered verses alone. We'll all read the even-numbered verses together. When we get down to verse 47, we will also read verse 47 together. I'll begin in verse 41. The Bible says, Then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. Together, verse 42. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, and in breaking of bread, and in prayers. And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And all that believed were together, and had all things common, and sold their possessions and goods, and parted them to all men, as every man had need. And they continued daily with one accord in the temple, and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart. Together, 47, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. Let's have a word of prayer. We'll preach this sermon, what it means to be an independent, fundamental Baptist. That's the title of the sermon today. What it means to be an independent, fundamental Baptist. Let's pray. God, I ask this morning as we look at the history of the Baptist movement, And look, Lord, look at the Bible and what it says a church ought to be. Lord, would you help us to be that church? Would you help us to be a church that glorifies and praises you? God, you created the church. Jesus articulated it on earth, what it was supposed to be and do. And Lord, we're wasting our time if we gather here and just have a social club and we're not actually accomplishing the purpose. So, Lord, I pray the sermon today would help us all to understand what it is you'd have us to be and do, and then to go forth and live that. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Wow, outside of Father's Day and another uh, Sunday, we've spent the last several weeks looking at the importance of church. What an important thing, church. Um, We have defined church as a called-out assembly of believers. A called-out 
assembly of believers. If you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ to save you, and you're gathered here today with other believers, then uh, that is what the church is. It's a called out local assembly of believers. The church is not the building. It's not the property that we collectively own. It's not uh, pews. It's not carpet. It's not a pulpit or a platform. The church is the people in the church that people that make up the church, the church is us. So uh, we looked at the structure of the church. We looked at the mission of the church. And most recently, the week before Father's Day, we looked at the gifts within this, the church. Now, this morning, I'd like to bring a very specific type sermon on which kind of church you should attend. You say, well, pastor, I've got that all figured out. I'm attending here, I've been coming here a good long time. Is this really necessary? And I, I would say that it is. Let me ask you this question. Are you a Baptist by conviction? Don't answer out loud. Answer in your mind. Are you a Baptist by conviction? If you and your family were to move out of the area and you had to look for a new church, would you stay in a Baptist church or... Would you wander outside our denominational boundaries? If you are a Baptist by conviction, why? Do you know? See, a lot of people stay Baptist because their mama was a Baptist and their grandmama was a Baptist and their great-grandmama was a Baptist. And they're a Baptist because that's what they did when they were a little kid and so they're, they're just going to keep on doing that. Um, do you know doctrinally? Do you know by the Scriptures? Do you know by our heritage why you are a Baptist? Now, there are many different types of Baptist churches out there. To name a few, there are the Southern Baptists. Those aren't just Baptist churches in the South. That's actually a group of churches as part of a committee. Most of them are in the South, but there are Southern Baptist churches that exist in the North as well. There, are, there is the Greater American Regular Baptist Convention. There are Missionary Baptists. There are Free will Baptists. Now, I'm not going to spend the time this morning talking about those, but that's just to give you an idea of a few. Here at White Oak Baptist Church, we are independent, fundamental Baptist. Independent, fundamental Baptist. What does that even mean? What does that mean? This morning, it is my goal to do two things. First, to show you how this denomination, the fundamental, independent fundamental Baptist, how this denomination came around, and to show you what a true biblical church ought to look like. Then I want us, collectively, corporately, and then individually, to hold ourselves up to that standard and ask ourselves this question. Are we doing our part to be a biblical church? My proposition this morning is that a godly church is a united church. It is a church that is united by truth. It is a church united around truth and attempting to bring others to the truth. I propose that many churches are good at gathering on Sundays, but are not really united and fervent about truth. Christian, are you? Are you seeking out truth? Are you actively sharing truth? Are you fellowshipping with others who are fervent about truth? 
Let's look at four thoughts this morning as we consider this thought, uh, this topic, what it means to be an independent fundamental Baptist. Number one, notice our past, our past or our history, our past. Letter A, let's jump right in here. Notice our ties to the first century church, our ties to the first century church. Now, some have tried to claim that our Baptist roots trace back to John the, say it with me, Baptist. Um, and that somehow we're tied directly to him. Well, that's, that's a stretch. That's a stretch. Um, John the Baptist was around prior to the founding of the church. So I don't know how we can be tied to someone who lived prior to the church era. You all understand, Jesus established a church in Matthew 16. At least he established the concept of the church. There's a whole lot of debate about whether the church was established in Matthew 16 or Acts chapter 2. I'm not going to debate with you. The truth is, in my mind, in my opinion, it doesn't really matter. But one thing I can say for sure, John the Baptist was off the scene by the time the church was started. So to claim that somehow the Baptist movement began with John the Baptist is erroneous. It is um, it, it is false. It does not work. So you ask, where did we get our name and how similar are we to the churches in the New Testament? Now, many denominations uh, came out of the big breakup with the Catholic Church. You may know your a little bit of history here. Martin Luther, that's different than Martin Luther King, a different person. Martin Luther posted his 95 theses on the door of the of the Catholic Church there in Germany and led a revolt against the Catholic Church. Uh, 95 reasons why he disagreed with the Catholic Church and said we are leaving the Catholic Church. From that revolt, we have several denominations around still today. Let me give you a few of the Protestant Reformation churches, okay? And that, by the way, that word Protestant comes from the same idea as protest. They were protesting the Catholic Church, rebelling, revolting from the Catholic Church. Here are a few of those denominations. Adventist churches, Anglican churches, Lutheran churches, Methodist churches, that's just to name a few. There are many others. Many have tried to put Baptist churches in this camp. But, please listen, we, the Baptists, did not break away from the Catholic Church. We did not break away from the Catholic Church. Um, In fact, since the founding of the church in Acts 2, there has always been a church. There have been multiple churches, many times underground, many times off to the side, many times hiding in a corner from the oppression and the persecution. But there have always been churches that have held the same basic biblical tenets that we hold to today here in our Baptist church. Now, the term Baptist, the term Baptist was given by religious outsiders. You may remember in the book of Acts Uh, The outsiders called Christians Christians. The Christians did not come up with the name Christians. What happened? They looked at these group, these group, this group of people in Antioch that were gathered together, together, and they said those folks are little versions of Jesus Christ. We're going to call them Christians. Christians. Now, much like Christians got their name from the outside, Baptists got their name. From the outside, you see, the Baptist refused to accept infant baptism. They said, no, you must first believe 
then be baptized. In fact, everywhere in the Bible where someone gets baptized, they believed first. You can't find any account of any baby being baptized. Everyone baptized in the Bible was baptized after they put their faith in Christ. So they refused to accept infant baptism. And now listen, we have that same here. And I got to tell you, that has created some conflict between me and those that have visited. Not great conflict, not uh, fisticuffs conflict, but more intellectual conflict between me and other people that have visited who have tried to tell me, no, 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 infant baptism should be accepted. And so while the conflict has been intellectual at most and, and, and minor at most, that wasn't the case in the Bible, or rather uh, in, in, in this era. You see, they uh, that would not accept infant baptism, boy, they were really, really, really persecuted uh, for that. They really faced a lot of persecution for that. Now, we'll, we'll talk about that in just a moment here. Uh, what I want to tell you is that the Protestants began calling this group of people that would rebaptize. They begin to call them Anabaptist. Anabaptist. That word Anna means re or rebaptizers. And it was a term used to mock them. They were mocking them. In time, the Anna fell off and the name Baptist stuck. So you have a, you have, you have a group of believers passing the baton on from the first century church all the way down until the age of the Protestant Reformation, the 17th century. And in that time, the Protestants, the Reformers, looked at this group of people that had passed the baton down from the first century church and said they're Anabaptists or rebaptizers. And that's, that's how our heritage ties into the first century church. Letter B, notice our persecution. Our persecution. When I talk about our persecution, I mean our Baptist forefathers persecution. Now, many people will tell you that it was the Christians that were responsible for the Inquisition. How many of you ever heard of that before? It was the Christians that were responsible for the Inquisition. Not true. It was the Catholics that were responsible for the Inquisition. Even the Catholics admit they were responsible for it. It's a part of their history they'd rather not discuss, but nonetheless, it is a part of their history. You say, well, how about those that held to baptistic beliefs? Well, let me tell you a little story here. The Al, Al, let me see, this is a hard term to say. The Albigenses, the Albigenses were a Greek group of believers that held the same belief of baptismal obedience that we do. Now, this would have been prior to the Anabaptist name, but a, a group of people that held the same beliefs that we do. And they were greatly persecuted. In the 11th century, during the Inquisition, the Catholics trapped this group of people into a building in order to have them all tortured and slaughtered for their stand against the Catholics' false teaching, Catholic Church's false teaching, in part on baptismal regeneration or baptismal obedience. They tortured these folks. That held to the same belief that we do. Wherever the Catholic Church could find anyone that disagreed with them, they tortured and they killed them. So we have a heritage of folks that were tortured because they believe what is easy for us to believe. But not only were we uh, uh, tortured by the Catholics, 
persecuted by the Catholics, we were also persecuted by the Protestants, by the Protestants or the Reformers. Now, notice here that uh, you have this group of people led by Martin Luther that broke away from the Catholic Church. And that's talked about in such a positive way. They, 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 they saw that salvation was obtained by, by grace through faith. And they broke away from the Catholic Church. And Martin Luther is a legend in the religious world. But i got to tell you that not everything Martin Luther did was good. Not everything Martin Luther did uh, uh, was honorable. In fact, Martin Luther and many of the others that followed his lead, they hated the Baptists. They gave them that nickname, the Anabaptists. They mocked them. But not only did they mock them, some reformer leaders we even ordered to take the Baptist leaders and to throw them into the very rivers where they had baptized their converts and to have them killed permanently baptized or killed in that river. Some of these men could swim. And so they would try to swim to the edge to get out. There was somebody there to take a stick and push them back in the water. And if that fell, they would uh, do what they could to make sure they would die in the very river they had baptized in. You see, our denominational faith, the Baptist movement, was born out of great religious persecution. They stood up and said, thus saith the Lord, and I'm not backing down. Most every other religion or denomination that's out there today stems from the Catholic Church or uh, is a uh, or, or comes off the Baptist movement. We'll talk about that more in a minute. Let us see. Let's look at this. Talking about our past. Notice our influence for revival. Our influence for revival. Now, even the public universities... Teach, they brush over it, but even they still teach that there was a spiritual awakening that took place in our country's history twice. Those spiritual awakenings are known as the Great Awakening and the Second Great Awakening. Um, those are talked about quite a bit in history, and uh, especially if you grow up uh, through Christian textbooks, there a lot of emphasis are put on those. But one name that gets glossed over, one name that gets overlooked, is a man by the name of Shubal Starnes. Shubal Starnes. Now, Shubal Starnes moved from Boston, Massachusetts, and settled in North Carolina, where he would begin the Sandy Creek Baptist Church the Sandy Creek Baptist Church, and through his church, he would begin... uh, He would would begin a church-planting effort that would see several thousand Baptist churches planted all over the South and all over uh, the Mid-Atlantic. Several thousand churches. You know how the Southeast is called the Bible Belt? Some of you that have never been to the Southeast, let me help you understand how many Baptist churches there are down there. You know how many Dunkin' Donuts there are here? (laughs) There are just as many Baptist churches in the Southeast. How many of you have been to the Southeast and you can testify that that's true? There are just as many Baptist churches down there as there are Dunkin' Donuts up here. The reason is, is because our religion is coffee up here. Amen. We worship coffee the way they worship uh, at the Baptist church. Uh, some people are frequenters to Dunkin' Donuts. Um, uh, but uh, the, uh, that is in large part because of the influence of Shubal Starnes. Now, you can build one church that grows to 20, 30, 40,000 people, and I'm all for that. Or you can plant 
thousands of little lighthouses all over the communities. And for centuries, they can have an influence over tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions of people. You see, Mr. Starn's influence for a great awakening did not just begin and end with the first and second great awakening. His legacy lives on today. When Pastor Brown was here, our founding pastor, this last anniversary Sunday, he shared how that White Oak Baptist Church is an indirect Uh, is indirectly tied into the Sandy Creek Baptist Church and how our church plant ties back into that all the way back up here in New England. I'm thankful for men like Shubal Starnes, who was a Baptist, who took the Baptist tenets and the Baptist faith and has seen millions of people saved through his life. There's another neat little thing, uh, especially if you like history, you'll really enjoy this. I must say, I really am thankful for our our Constitution. What um, What a great document. You ever notice how they need thousands of pieces of paper to come up with a health care law? But just a few pieces of paper have dictated our entire government for 200 and, what is it now? Uh, How old are we? As a country, does anybody know? 1776, 1896, 1996, we're 240, or 200, uh, yeah, about 230, 240 years old. I'm, I'm trying to do math on the fly. When I'm under pressure and I've got hundreds of people staring at me, it all falls apart, all right? <laughs> Don't judge, it's hard, okay? Um, what a great document, right? What would the Constitution be without the, uh, the Bill of Rights, the, the, uh, the First Ten Amendments? Anybody here know what the First Amendment is? Freedom of religion. We're meeting here today because of the First Amendment. We're not going to have police come in that back door and tell us we can't meet because the Constitution says we can. Freedom of religion, freedom of speech, freedom of the press. Do you know that it was a Baptist pastor that helped guarantee the First Amendment? John Leland was a Baptist pastor in Virginia had the greatest influence of any religious leader in Virginia at his, during his day. James Madison, while riding on horseback up to Philadelphia uh, to uh, go to the Constitutional Convention, James Madison, the father of the Constitution, the man that would pen and write down our Constitution, en route, he stopped and met with John Leland uh, there on, uh, in fact, if you ride from Fredericksburg, Virginia, down toward Monticello, there is a park there called Leland Madison Memorial Park, where the two of them sat under a tree and met and talked, and James, Ma- uh, uh, rather, uh, uh, Pastor John Leland, the Baptist pastor, told James Madison that if he could guarantee freedom of religion into the uh, Constitution or or even into a separate bill of rights that he would lead uh, uh, he would lead the charge in seeing Virginia uh, go ahead and accept the Constitution as the governing body for them. And so because of the hard work of a Baptist pastor, we have the freedom of religion, the freedom of speech and the freedom of the press. Sometimes I wish our press was a little less pushing of their limits there, less pushing of their rights, but that's for another time. Okay, so Leland, uh, Leland was able to convince him to do that. We have our First Amendment right because of a Baptist 
pastor because of his prudence. So we see our influence for revival. Letter D, notice our denominational spinoffs, our denominational spinoffs. Now, from that Anabaptist movement, very early on in the process, we had the Amish spinoff. The Amish would eventually divide up between the Amish and the Mennonites. The Amish and the Mennonites. Um, they have the same Anabaptist roots that we have. How many of you here have ever seen an Amish community? You ever been down to like Hanover or out in Ohio, Hanover, PA? Out in Ohio, there's a lot of Amish. Uh, you say, well, what is the difference between the Amish and the Mennonites? Um, I lived near a Mennonite community uh, for quite a while. And uh, the Mennonites, uh, some of them are very Amish-like. Others are very contemporary and lean more toward the left of the tenets of, of their, their group. They're like us. They, they're, they've got really conservative Mennonites and really liberal Mennonites. Amish are just very... Uh, uh, very conservative when it comes to their social standards. Now, the best way I know to describe this spinoff from the Baptist movement is that these folks, the Amish and the Mennonite, historically, uh, they have been concerned with holy living, but have lacked solid doctrine, especially when it comes to the, the doctrine of salvation. Um, we're to strike a balance with both. We're to have... Holy living, because the Bible commands it. We're not to look, talk, dress, act like the world. We're to be set apart from the world. The Bible says that we're to be a peculiar people. You ought not, ladies, you ought not model your makeup after some rock star or pop star. You ought not allow the fashion industry and its liberal uh, uh, slant to set the way you dress, men you either. We ought, not, we ought not let the world have that influence on us where we are enamored with the world and we're flirting with the world. We're to be separate from the world. And the Amish and the Mennonites do a great job of that, but they lack Bible doctrine. Another spinoff from the Baptist movement has been the evangelical movement. The evangelicals, you go around and you see churches that says evangelical on it. Um, they're a spinoff from the Baptist church. They, uh, they left the Baptist church somewhere during the 20th century. And this crowd, for the most part, has its doctrine right. For the most part, has its doctrine right. But oftentimes, again, I don't want to paint a broad brush here. Oftentimes, they lack holy living. Give you some examples of some evangelical church signs I have seen with my own two eyes. All right, one said, "Come as you are." Come as you are. You know what that means? Usually, that means come as you are and leave as you were. We're not going to push you to change. We just want to all get together. Let's just get together and love Jesus. And you can leave and keep all of the items in your house that are sin. And you can leave dressed like sin and act like sin. We're not worried about holy living. We're going to lift up doctrine. Yeah, we'll teach doctrine, except for the parts about holy living. So they preach 
the gospel. And for the most part, uh, uh, they preach a straight gospel and people get saved. And I praise the Lord for everybody to get saved in the evangelical church. I'm not here to put them down from that standpoint. I'm thankful for anyone that preaches the saving grace of Jesus. But God has not just commanded us to preach right doctrine. He's also commanded us to hold up holy living. And when the Baptist church continued to hold up holy living, the evangelicals left and they dropped that. So again, I'm not here to put down the Amish of the Mennonites. I'm not here to put down the evangelicals. I'm here to help you understand our number one, our past. Number two, let's look at our problems, our problems. Now it would be really easy for me to stand up here and tell you that the Baptist church is perfect, that we don't have any issues whatsoever. That would be a lie. Now, you're looking at a young man who has been in an independent, fundamental Baptist church my whole life. I have seen it all. I've been to conferences on the East Coast, in the Midwest, on the West Coast. I have been to camps. I have seen a lot of things. And I'm here to tell you, If you haven't traveled outside of White Oak Baptist Church, the independent Baptist movement is not free of problems. Now, I've got to tell you, I don't really want to preach this point. But if I'm going to be honest with you and paint a fair picture of what is an independent fundamental Baptist, then we've got to look at both the good and the bad. So let's look at the bad. Everyone who is asleep is now awake. All right, letter A. Notice angry preaching. Angry preaching. Let me give you some history here as to why we have had angry preaching in the independent fundamental Baptist movement. In the 1950s and the 1960s, several men did not like the hands-on control of the Southern Baptist Convention. Many preachers were told that they were not allowed to have fireball-type preachers in their churches. They were discouraged from taking a hard stand against the sin of the up-and-coming baby boomers. There were men like John R. Rice, Lee Robertson, and Jack Hiles. These men broke away from the Southern Baptist Convention and began a new brand of the Baptist church. They began the independent fundamental Baptist churches. Now, what does that mean? Well, independent means that it was uh, independent from a denominational board. So there's not some board that meets in some city and says, emphasize these things this year. I don't get uh, a pre-printed brochure that says, back to the basics, a banner to put out in the lobby and say, this is what you're going to preach this year. No, no, no. We're independent from that. We stand on our own two legs as a church. We don't have a board telling us what to emphasize or not emphasize, what we do believe or don't believe. We're independent from a denominational board. We're independent from other churches in the area. We are, uh, we are assembled here. We are governed uh, uh, by a, a group of people in the church that help uh, ratify our own church constitution. And we're held together by that. We are fundamental. Fundamental. Again, this broke away from the Southern Baptist Convention. What does that mean? 
fundamental to the teachings of the Bible. I was a basketball coach, varsity basketball coach for a few years. And the very, very first practice um, uh, was always how to shoot a layup. How to shoot a layup. I'd line the kids up and they would, before they even dribbled a basketball, we would uh, teach them how to take the right steps and how to shoot off the opposite foot and get that elbow up there. Then we'd back them up, let them dribble, then take a couple dribbles and we'd work through it and how to make a layup through a foul and then how to do it with the left hand. I was teaching them the fundamentals of the game of basketball. Now, the fundamentals of the Bible don't change. Why? Because Jesus is truth, His Word is truth, and truth never changes. And we're not going to be swayed by the culture. The culture changes its opinion on what's moral and immoral. Have you noticed that the jokes comedians made in the 90s, if they made them today, hashtag me too, hashtag me too, they can't make those jokes today. Why? Because back then it was accepted and okay. Now it's not. And so as the climate changes, as the culture changes, the morality changes, but the Bible always stays the same. And so we're fundamental to the doctrines of the Bible. Baptists Baptists had a desire. We're Baptists because... We're independent, fundamental Baptists, and we're being a Baptist, the, the goal is to continue the identification with a rich heritage of solid doctrine and personal holiness. Now, John Rice, Lee Robertson, Jack Hiles, and many like them that broke away from the Southern Baptist Convention, they were preachers that were rebels of a sort, rebelling against that Southern Baptist Convention. These men, if you've ever heard tapes of them when they preached, they preached like Old Testament prophets. They stood up and they preached with fervor. They preached with fire. They, 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 they thundered out the truth in the face of a hippie culture. Um, there's nothing wrong with this kind of preaching. Nothing wrong with it. In fact, at times it's needed. But this preaching brought around a generation of preachers behind it they not only preach with fire, but they preach with anger in their voices. The 80s, the 90s, the early 2000s. Those decades were marked by angry preaching. James chapter 1 verse 20 says, The wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. Do you know what angry preaching does? Angry preaching attracts angry people. Angry preaching attracts angry people. Letter B. Notice shallow preaching. Shallow preaching. 2 Timothy 4.2. We've looked at this verse several times. So I'll just read it for you. It says this. Preach the word. Preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. Not only are we not to uh, preach angry, we're not to preach shallow sermons. Another common earmark of this era, 80s, 90s, early 2000s, was the preaching of one's opinion. I can't tell you how many times I sat in a service somewhere and the preacher would get up and he would open up the Bible and he'd read half a verse or a verse. He'd say, all right, put your Bible away. I'm going to preach to you for a little while. Wait, what? Put my Bible away? You don't want me to, to open the book of truth? You want me to put my Bible away so you can enamor me with your personality and your, your, your illustrations where you're the hero of every single one? 
You want to entertain me and tell me jokes and make me laugh. And you want to give me the truth, but you don't want to back it up with a book of truth. That, my friends, is shallow preaching. And that's what we dealt with for 30 years in our church movement. Letter C notice, hobby horse preaching. Hobby horse preaching. If English is not your first language, that's a tough one. That's an idiom. My wife told me one time, she said, idioms are for idiots. I said, Spanish has idioms too. Be careful. Amen. Um, Hobby horse preaching. What that basically means is you pick a topic and you won't let it go. Another issue of this era uh, was preachers who over-preached their favorite topics. They'd preach against nicotine. They'd preach against alcohol. They'd preach against uh, long hair on men or short hair on women or whatever topic they happened to be on. They would preach it and preach it and preach it and preach it. And their favorite topics, they would preach them and preach them and preach them. And they would beat these horses into the ground. Letter D, notice meddling in other churches' business. By the way, do you know what shallow preaching does? It attracts shallow people. Do you, do you know what hobby horse preaching does? It attracts... Issue-based type people, hobby horse people. Letter D, notice meddling in other churches' businesses. business. First Timothy 4.11, Paul offered a, a small critique to the church of Thessalonica. It says there, And that ye study to be quiet and do your own business and to work with your own hands as we command you. Now, I sat in a church service once in Texas. I won't say anything beyond that. Texas is a big state. But I sat in church, a large church in Texas, and I listened to the pastor as he basically outlined his sermons with the names of other Baptist pastors he disagreed with. He would give the pastor's name and then tell you why he thought that was a bad guy. And the reasons why he disagreed with these men were, were pretty dumb. We call them fighting fundamentalists. You know who the fundamentalists need to fight? The devil. Amen? We don't need to fight each other. I will never get in this pulpit and pick on another Baptist pastor. Never do it. You you go to work, you need the Word of God to edify you. You need the Word of God to get you through another week. You don't need me running some other Baptist pastor across town or across the state down into the ground. Meddling... Preaching attracts meddling people. Now, these issues have not plagued every church. You may ask yourself, well, Pastor, you did not just paint us in a good light. And the answer is no, but I painted us in an honest one. But one thing about the independent fundamental Baptist churches is that for the most part, we have stood by the right doctrine. We have stood by biblical teaching. Number one, our past. Number two, our problems. Number three, our principles. Our principles. I'm going to rush through this point here. Men uh, in the back, uh, to the ushers, in the back, I have, uh, in in the ushers' closet, I have a uh, stack of an old sermon I preached. At the very end of the message today, I would like you to hand and give that out. Give that out for me. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time on point number three because I preached a sermon with all of these points in it about two years ago. And so I would like you to read through that if you have more interest. But what does it mean to be a Baptist? Well, 
there are some teachings that we hold to that are very biblical. Let me give you Baptist as an acrostic. I'm not going to comment much, but let's go through this. First of all, notice letter B, biblical authority. Biblical authority. We believe that the Bible is the final authority on everything. Not somebody's opinion, not some document, not some tradition. The Bible is the final authority. A, notice autonomy of the local church. Autonomy of the local church. P, notice priesthood of the believer. Do you notice that I don't wear funny clothes and have my collar on backwards? You all notice that? I wear a a suit. And um, I don't have a confessional booth in my office. I'm not a priest. You say, well, what happened to that position? Isn't that a biblical position? Absolutely. You ask Jesus in your heart, you become your own priest with the Lord. You don't need me to go to the Lord in prayer for you. You can go to the Lord yourself. We're going to give you a document in a few minutes that will give you some Bible to, to back that up. Letter T, two offices. Two offices. What are those offices? Well, that would be the office of the pastor and the office of the deacon. Again, I'll refer you to the handout in a few minutes. Uh, Letter I, individual soul liberty. That means that, did you get it right? Good job. She's down here guessing before I give them out. Um, that, That basically means that you will answer to God yourself in heaven for the choices that you make. I have an an obligation to preach the Bible, what I believe it means, and as I'm led by the Spirit. But I will not give an account to God for the way you choose to live, beyond what I've instructed you to live. Um, You will give an account to God yourself. And again, I refer you to the handout for more information there. S, separation and personal holiness. Separation and personal holiness. We talked about this with the Amish Mennonite evangelical thing. We are to be separated from the world. We're not to look like them, talk like them, act like them. We're not to watch the same stuff, that be entertain, entertained the same way they are. There is to be a, a commitment to personal holiness. T, two ordinances. Two ordinances. That would be the Lord's Supper, and that would be baptism. And baptism is a big distinctive that separates us from many, many other churches. I, I give some explanation in that handout, so I would again refer you to that. We see our principles. Why is it that I have remained a Baptist through all of the problems that we discussed? I'm not blinded to them. I see them. I saw them. I knew when I was 14 years old that the Baptist had many of those problems. Why have I remained a Baptist? Because of that right there. There isn't another denomination out there that holds to that like the Baptists do. And that's not just a... How do I put this? I'm not bending the Bible to fit that acronym. That acronym naturally fits the Bible. You understand that? That is very biblical. And so I'm a Baptist by conviction because that's what a Baptist believes. Number four, and lastly, let's look at our purpose. Now, if you don't enjoy history and my sermon has bored you to this point, I'm sorry. I've got to be honest. This is a tough sermon to preach. Um, this is a tough sermon to get through. I've tried my very best to make this as enjoyable as possible. I hope that I haven't bored too many of you too much. But if you've struggled up to this point, let me really encourage you to, 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 to redial in here and to focus. Because I want to talk about what a true church, a biblical church, looks like. 
Then I want you to ask yourself this question. Am I helping White Oak Baptist Church be an Acts 2 type church? What is our purpose? Well, make no mistake about it. Our purpose is unity. It's unity. Unification brought about by truth. Unification of the believers around the truth. Unification by bringing others from the outside to the truth. Now, back in our opening text, we find the first church in Jerusalem right at its very beginning. Check this out. The church grew from 120 people to over 100,000 believers in just a few short years. And we've got probably about 120 people in the room right now. Imagine if in three years we had over 100,000 people attending this church. That is crazy growth. That is unbelievable growth. That is the entire town of Stratford and Milford combined. That's huge. Now, by the way, it could happen. If God could do it in in Jerusalem, don't you think He could do it here? Um, How did that happen? Well, the 120 people, they did something. They did something that many churches lack. Let me give you quickly here a couple of points to consider. Letter A, notice. Unity through doctrine. Unity through doctrine. Look back at Acts chapter 2. Look at verse 41. It says there, then they that gladly received his word were baptized. In the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. Look at verse 42. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. What's that mean? That means that they figured out what the apostles were teaching them to believe, and they chose to unify with it. Amos Chapter 3, verse 3, the Old Testament prophet reminds us, can two walk together except they be agreed? You can't walk with someone unless you agree with them. And so uh, we need to hold to biblical doctrine, biblical teaching, biblical truth. I'm spending a lot of time in 2018 to teach what the Bible says, to teach Bible doctrines. Why am I doing that? Because I want us as a church to rally around and to unify around the truth of God's Word. Another reason, John seventeen seventeen tells us, Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy Word is truth. And so we must unify around the doctrine of the Bible. Let me ask you this question, Christian. Do you have a hunger to know God's Word? Do you have a hunger to uh, hold God's Word high in your heart and in your home? Do you have a desire to fellowship with others that know God's Word? Letter B, notice unity through fellowship. Look back at verse number 42. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship. Notice that word fellowship. And in breaking of bread and in prayers. And fear came upon every church or every soul. And many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And they and all that believed were together, were together, and had all things common. They were together. Verse 42 says they continued in fellowship. Again, Amos 3.3, 3, can two walk together? Hey, what's it matter if you sit on this side of the auditorium and you believe the same thing that this guy sits on the auditorium if the two of you never talk to each other? What's it matter? Some of you literally do this. You get your Bible, you get your family, and you wait till church is late and you slip in late. 
so you don't have to talk to anybody. And you sit down. And then during the closing prayer, you get up and you run to your car. Hurry before someone says something to us. You're to continue in fellowship. Fellowship. Say, oh, well, I'm a reserved person. Then you need to fellowship even more. You need to get together and unify with people who believe the same things that you do. You know, I've, been, I've had this conversation maybe a dozen times in the last year. And the conversation has to do with the difference between the South and the North. You know what everybody that knows the South and the North agrees on? There's a lot of things we disagree on. But you know what there's one thing we all agree on? In the South, people are hospitable. In the North, people are rude. In the South, they all... You don't want to ask someone how they're doing. That you don't know. Because they're going to tell you about their Aunt Norma... They're going to tell you about everything. And you're going to have to say, okay, that's great. i got to go. In the north, you ask someone how they're doing. They're going to look at you funny. Like, what do you care? Right? In the south, they're nice to your face, but oftentimes they'll stab you in the back. In the north, if they don't like you, they just tell you. <laughs> how many of you that know the north and the south know this to be true? Okay? Very, that is very accurate. Do you know what we need here in the north? We need a location of hospitality. We need a place where we can go and people aren't rude to us. We need a place where we can go and we can fellowship around the word of God. That's what the Baptist church is supposed to be. We're to continue steadfastly in fellowship. Letter C, notice, unity through benevolence. Look back at verse 45. It says, and sold their possessions and goods, and parted them to all men as every man had need. And they continued daily with one accord in the temple, and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart. You see, they became so burdened for the needs of the poor amongst them that they were willing to sell the excess. And give to those that were doing without. You know what the gospel of Jesus Christ is? It's all about suffering for the betterment of others. Let that sink in for a minute. The gospel of Jesus Christ is all about suffering for the betterment of others. The king of glory. The king of glory left everything. To become a nobody. So that he could hang up on a cross. And be the poorest man in the world. He that was rich became poor. Why? So that those of us that are poor could become rich. It's really not fair for us to say, I'm a Christian. We're not willing to suffer for the betterment of others. These folks took what they had and they sold it. And they turned around and they gave to the poor. You know, if 
if Christians today lived like Christians in the first century, then a good chunk of the foster care program would shut down. Because Christians would just adopt the children that are neglected by their parents. If Christians lived like the Christians of the first century, much of the welfare program would disappear. Because we take these people in and either give of our own excess or teach them how to work. But we're too busy turning up our nose at someone that doesn't look like us and talk like us and act like us. While we live in our nice big houses and drive our nice cars, we neglect the poor. Shame on us. That's not first century church living. When a church rallies behind benevolence and the doing for others... Boy, there is a synergy, there is a excitement, there is a growth that happens in the heart of those that do, that do the giving. Unity through benevolence. Who here today needs to look at what they have and give to those that have not? Letter D, unity through outreach. Unity through outreach. Look at verse 46. They continue daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart. Praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily, 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 such as should be saved. Not only were these believers drawing others to Christ by the way they lived, they were also drawing others to Christ by actively seeking out the lost around them and bringing them to the truth. They were saying, listen, you're living a broken life. Let me take you to the person of truth in Jesus Christ. Let me show you how he changed my life and how he can change yours. They reached out to those that were spiritually bankrupt and brought them to a place of great spiritual riches. And they did it together. They did it together. How about it, Christian? Are you doing your part to make White Oak Baptist Church like an Acts 2 church? Or do you need to step your game up a little bit and do more? Let's have our heads bowed and eyes closed this morning. We covered a lot of ground. We went a lot of different directions. We looked at the history of the Baptist movement. Maybe this morning the decision you need to make is that you're just going to decide that you're a Baptist. You're a Baptist for life. Maybe the decision you need to make this morning is to become a Christian. Put your faith and trust in Jesus to save you. You see, he became poor up on that cross because he was paying your sin debt for you. Your sin bankrupted the king of glory. He purchased you the gift of eternal life. The truth is that gift is free for you to have, but you must exercise your faith and receive it. Without your faith in Jesus, you can't be saved. It's not faith and good works. It's not faith and good behavior. It's not faith and good deeds. It's faith alone in Jesus and his suffering for you and his resurrection from the dead. How many here this morning say, Pastor, there was a day and time in my life I put my faith and trust in Jesus to save me. I know I'm going to heaven. Not because of me, but because of what Jesus did for me. Here's my hand in testimony of that. Would you raise your hand if you know you're going to heaven? You can put them down. Is there one here today that say, Pastor, I'm not sure. If I were to die, where I'd go. My friend, if that's you, I don't want to embarrass you. I just want to pray for you. 
So with your heads bowed, head bowed and eyes closed, everyone's head bowed and eyes closed, just me and, and God looking down, would, would you be willing to say, Pastor, pray for me? I don't know that if I were to die today, I don't know where I'd spend eternity. Would you pray for me if that's you? Would you just slip up your hand and slip it right back down? Is there one? I just don't know. I just want to pray for you, friend. Is there one? How many here today say, Pastor, there is a lack of unity toward truth in my heart. I have strayed from it. I'm not unified in outreach. I'm not unified uh, in my benevolence. I'm not unified in my fellowship or I'm not unified in right doctrine. Pastor, one of those areas I need to tighten things up. I need to get my heart right with God. Pastor, would you please pray for me? If that's you, would you slip up your hand? I need to do my part. I need to do my part. How many here today say, Pastor, life has thrown some problems my way and I'm going through a difficult trial. My heart is heavy. Would you please pray for me as I carry this this burden? Would you hold those up just for a moment so I can see your hand and I know who to pray for? As I scan the room and look around, I want to know who to pray for. Thank you. You can put your hands down. Lord, I do thank you today for White Oak Baptist Church. God, we are not a perfect church. There's no such thing as a perfect church. One day we'll be perfect in your presence, and I cannot wait for that moment in time. But God, while we're here, may we struggle, may we fight, may we work to be a church that's unified around, church, uh, around truth. Lord, move, move in our hearts today. Help the lost to be saved. Help the saved to be more in line with you and your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand to our feet. Heads bowed, eyes closed. The altar's open. I'd encourage you to come and kneel. Make a decision for the Lord this morning. Tell him that you're committed to unity. Unity in Christ. Unity through truth. Unity for truth.